Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. This year brought so many changes to America, most notably the arrival of Joe Biden and his administration. We often look at the first 100 days of a new presidency as a measuring stick for how effective the president will be. And Joe Biden's were impressive. To take a deep dive into what the early part of this presidency revealed, I've invited Kelly Hyman on the show. Kelly is a former actress turned lawyer, a frequent legal and news analyst, and the author of the new book, Build Back Better, The First 100 Days of the Biden Administration and Beyond. Now, there are a number, there's, a, there's been a lot of misleading talk, which is no surprise, I guess, about what I'm proposing in my Build Back Better agenda. It's not a short-term stimulus. It's a long-term investment in American families. Breaking overnight, hours after passing a major infrastructure bill with bipartisan support, the Senate took another big step to push through President Biden's agenda. It narrowly approved a $3.5 trillion blueprint for family, health, and environmental programs. Our new NBC News Wall Street Journal poll shows just over half of Americans give the president strong marks for trying to unite. But eight in 10 people say this country is still divided on issues, including some of the White House's top priorities for President Biden. That's everything from the pandemic to immigration to climate to unifying the country. Hi, I'm Kelly Hyman. I'm a television legal analyst and political analyst, and I've written a book called Build Back Better, the first 100 days of the Biden administration and beyond. I am a proud Democrat and a woman supporting women. Sorry, not sorry. Thank you so much, Kelly, for joining us. And to my listeners, I'm sort of in a different studio. I'm home in my place in Lake Tahoe. So if it sounds a little different, that's why. Kelly, again, thank you for being here. And I want to talk about your book. But first, let's talk a bit about you. You started out as an actor. I did, Alyssa. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And hello to all your wonderful listeners. I did. When I was five years old, my mom, who was a single mom from Australia, was struggling financially, and she was teaching Charlton Heston tennis lessons. I was a cute young kid, and so she asked Charlton Heston, half-jokingly, can you get my daughter an agent? And he was true to his word. And so at age five, I started doing commercials and modeling ads. Oh, did you like it? Did you know what you were doing? Because, you know, I started at seven. And when I look back at that time, I had no clue what I was doing. But I was such a creative and an introverted kid that like it was fun for me because I found a place. You were great. I, I remember as a child doing a modeling job with you for a book cover and you were wonderful. And your mom was delightful. I remember meeting her as a young kid. She's still delightful. She's in the other room right now. She's with me in Tahoe. She's right next door. (laughs) But yeah, I just felt like I finally fit in somewhere. Like I knew I didn't fit in in school. And the neighborhood I grew up in was rough. And I knew I didn't fit in there. And so acting sort of made me feel like I belonged. That makes sense. 
so then you took a turn. Your career took a turn. You went from acting to becoming a lawyer and a political analyst. Tell me a little bit about that transition and why it was important to you. Absolutely. It's funny when I tell people that I'm a third generation person to go to law school on my family, they always say to me, oh, where did your grandfather go to law school? And I look at them and I smile and I say, my grandmother went to St. John's Law School and they kind of shocked. Right. But politics was always a passion for me. When I was in college, I interned at the White House and it was really important for me. I've volunteered for campaigns. I've gone out and protected the vote for the Democratic Party. And so I always knew protecting people's votes and voter rights was very important to me. And I was watching Bill Maher one night on TV, and he said, the Democrats do themselves a disservice because I will have someone on my show that's very conservative, and they will have one person maybe in the audience that supports them. But the Democrats, they won't go on these conservative type of shows. I took it as a call to action. And so I says, absolutely, sign me up. And so I go on conservative shows and give the democratic perspective and also give some legal perspective as well. Kelly, uh, VP's, uh, VP Harris' position hasn't changed. Back in 2017, here's a tweet just after the Trump inauguration. She tweeted, quote, outside the White House to stand in solidarity with refugees and immigrants who are being targeted by this administration. This is not who we are. Hashtag no ban, no wall. Your reaction to this reversal in position, Kelly Hyman? I don't think it's a reversal of position. We have to remember, we are a country of immigrants. That's what makes our country great. However, the U.S. has every right to protect our borders and protect ourselves as well. Sometimes people are nice and say nice things. Sometimes people don't. But it's important for people, we're United States of America, to listen to different perspectives. And I'm hopeful and optimistic that it will help people enable them to get out and vote in 2022. And so my listeners know we're not talking about low on the totem pole outlets. We are talking about Fox and even, for lack of a better word, how did you like find the balls to go on those shows and how nervous were you in the beginning? I have to thank my acting Really, I was fortunate to study with some great acting coaches. Harry Master George is one of the great acting coaches. And he always told me, Kelly, Albert Einstein always said, imagination is more important mm -hmm. than knowledge. Just pretend. Be in the moment. My husband's late mom always had a saying, God gave you two ears and one mouth. So you want to listen twice as much mm -hmm. as you speak. Mm -hmm. And I try and do that. Because sometimes I'll be on, they tell me what the topic is, but when I get on, it's not the topic that they told oh. me. Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay. Or they'll play a clip and I can't see it. And I'll just have to really listen to the clip and be in the moment and trust my instincts. And I think that's key. Now, I am human. I've definitely made mistakes. And, you know, hindsight, I look back and I say, I should have said this or would have said that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're human. And so we do the best we can. I stay calm and do it, but I think that it can make a difference. And so if I can have one person change their perspective, then I know that I've made a difference. 
How dangerous do you think this very partisan, these echo chambers that we live in, where we're not willing to hear the other side, how dangerous do you think that is? It can hurt all of us. It definitely can. I remember Alyssa being on Newsmax and the topic of the story was actually you. They were talking about you. And so I think that it's important that we should try and come together and not alienate each other and listen to the other perspective and hear someone else's voice. Yeah, it's funny because they try to, and when I say they, I mean Fox News and Newsmax and all of these very right-wing propaganda machines, they try to discredit me so much. And then I feel like talking about me gives me more credit in a way. So I feel like if they would just let me scream into the wind, which is a half of what being an activist really feels like that I wouldn't have as much clout and power as I have as an activist. And I have to think that it is because I know my stuff and I do my homework that they feel like they have to discredit it. And it's also really interesting, like what they pick up. I'll do an interview or whatever, Kelly, and I'll feel like, oh, they're really going to pick up on this piece of it. And then they pick up on something totally, completely different. And it's just, I don't know, I have so much respect for you because you just sit there and you know that it's not going to be easy, right? And maybe you have a little masochist in you because you know (laughs) what you're getting yourself into and you put yourself out there in such an incredibly powerful way. And I always feel like, because I do really believe that we need to start talking to each other and listening to each other. And I feel like if we could change like half a mind, half a mind even, just plant the seeds for change in a different way of thinking. Because I think when we think about who the people are that follow super right-wing politics, right? Like fringe QAnon politics. I look at them and I think, is it because nobody else has talked to them about certain issues and the right-wing think tank was smart enough to corral them and listen and say, you know what, what you're feeling is legitimate. I can't think of why else there would be such a rise because these people that follow this, I feel like they can't really believe it. Do they really believe that their jobs are being taken away? Do they really believe in this white supremacy that they've bought into? Do they believe in an insurrection and taking over the Capitol? Today marked the first day that the House Select Committee began investigating or hearing testimony regarding the Capitol Hill riots. Well, House GOP Conference Chair Elise Stefanik decided, you know, I got to look out for my Republican buddies. We got to find a way to deflect. We got to shift the blame to someone else. So she decided to shift the blame to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Let's hear what she had to say. It is a fact that the U.S. Capitol Police raised concerns. And rather than providing them with the support and resources they needed and they deserved, she prioritized her partisan political optics over their safety. The American people deserve to know the truth that Nancy Pelosi bears responsibility as Speaker of the House for the tragedy that occurred on January 6th. And it was only after Republicans started asking these important questions that she refused to seat them. What do you think? Like, how do you think that this very right wing sect of the Republican Party sprouted up and gained so much power so quickly? I think it's the idea if you hear something enough, you believe it. 
as I call it, the propaganda. You constantly hear the same thing over and over again. Mm. They're trying to take away our freedom. They're trying to take away our Second Amendment rights. They're trying to Mm. take this away Mm. from us. The liberal left, and you hear they're trying to defund the police, even though Biden doesn't support that, and just keep saying that, and they're going to take away your guns, they're going to take away your property, and out of fear. A lot of it is fear-based. Someone else is going to take your job. Someone else is going to take this away from you and take away your rights. And so I think by constantly hearing that, or whether it's immigration, even though immigration makes our country great, people from diverse backgrounds, we are immigrants in our country, but it's that constantly hearing that. And I think if people took that away and said, this is not a Democrat issue or Republican issue, this should be a bipartisan issue, then it would help us. When I did Fox a couple of weeks ago, when I come, they have someone come take me to the set and then pick me up and take me back. And usually I'll prepare on the way. So one gentleman came and we were talking and I said, I'm going to be on Fox. And they said, oh, that's great. I said, I am a Democrat. And he said, then why are you going on the show? So him and I were talking and he's like, I'm a hardcore Second Amendment. We were talking about issues. I was like, all right. So I'm about ready to do the show. And they hear a knocking on the door. And the camera guy goes and says, the guy that brought you here wants to watch the show. And so I was like, all right, you know, he comes in, sits down and listens and he's going to be quiet, whatever. And they do the show. And so, all right, get ready, pack my stuff up and get back in the car. And he said, everything that you said, and I was thinking, "Uh uh-oh, he's like, I was agreeing with, I was shaking Mm. my head. And he said, that other person, he didn't know what he was talking about. Mm. And so I think if we open up the discussion, him and I were having a discussion about second amendment. I said, look, second amendment, it's your constitutional right, but there should be some kind of gun safety and deal this. There's gotta be reasonable solutions. And I think if we take that away, I think it can help. Now, some say that I'm Pollyanna when it comes to this stuff of perspective, But I think if we don't talk, then that creates further problems and further divide. almost feel like when we watch the quote unquote news, which I still think this is opinion news when we're talking about MSNBC and we're talking about Fox, but I feel like almost when we see politicians being interviewed, like we should take the D and the R away from their name at the bottom of the screen so people don't automatically say, oh, I identify with this guy because he's a Republican. He's got that little R next to his, because I really do think that there is a big population of the country that has been born into a certain political ideology that will then only vote for whoever has that R or whoever has that D next to their name, regardless of the policy that they believe in, regardless of the ideology, regardless of criminal behavior even, right? Like, it's shocking that Matt Gates still has a job, but I think that there are people that are like, you know what? He has an R next to his name, and I am a Republican, so I'm going to continue to support him. 
Today, the Department of Justice is investigating the Republican Congressman Matt Gates of Florida for a possible sexual relation with a 17-year-old. That reporting from the New York Times just this hour, citing three people who claim he also paid for her to travel with him, which violates federal sex trafficking laws. And I think the Democrats are guilty of that, too. You know, it's like that great Maya Angelou quote, and I'm going to butcher it and paraphrase it, but when she says, when someone shows you who you are, believe them, I feel like like most people do not really believe that these politicians are who they say that they are. They think, oh, there's no way this guy could be that bad. Or there's no way the Marjorie Taylor Greens could really believe that lasers came out. You know what I mean? It's just so absurd. And I just, again, and I know I've said this a couple of times, I have so much respect for you for putting yourself out there. Oh, thank you. It's so important. And I want to get to your book. Your book covers the first 100 days of the Biden presidency. I just want to talk about that metric. Why do we use the first 100 days instead of the first year or some other time frame? That has usually been historic. You always hear it of every president to kind of measure them from start of FDR. What can they get done in the first 100 days? In our first 100 days, my first 100 days, by the end of our first 100 days, plenty of presidential pledges for these first 100 days. I promise you. I promise you. A time frame that's mostly symbolic. The presidential honeymoon. But ever since the era of Franklin Roosevelt and the Great Depression, it's been a measuring stick for progress on promises. I think it was key. What we talked about before is about the COVID relief package. Studies shown a majority of Americans supported the COVID relief package, but there was not one single Republican that supported it. Now, afterwards, they came out and said, oh, yeah, hey, this will be good for you but not one person. And so I think the American people need to realize that and say, hey, listen, they represent you. You're their constituents. And so if they're not doing what you want, the will of the people, no matter if they have an R in front of their name, what they have, then you need to get out and vote them out because they're not representing their interests. And there's a lot of people that will vote against their own interests. And so it's shocking to me and upsetting to me that people would do that. It's the same thing that goes at any woman that would support our former president. It's mind boggling to me as a woman who was raised by a single mom, who is a strong advocate for women that support women 100% and know that we as women should support one another, that could vote for someone that was so against our own interest, where his administration went against the equal rights movement and opposed it, that's going to help women, that put us back even further. And then the pandemic put us back even further, maybe even decades. Most of the people who lost their jobs during the pandemic were women because we have a caretaking shortage. And they had to quit their jobs, which supported their family, supported the economy to stay home and take care of their kids. And I think that right now we're in such an important time where we see, I mean, did you ever think we'd hear a president talking about care, like child care and elder care and how that is infrastructure? It is as important to the workforce as getting someone to work from bridges and tunnels or clean water. If we want this country to be everything that we aspire to, that we have to take care of 
enforcing protections so women can be involved in the workplace. It is so vital. It is so important. Now, I just want to ask you, like, comparatively, because I'm sure you did all this research for your book, it seems like, from an outsider's perspective, that Biden has done a really solid job in the first 100 days. And you mentioned before how none of the Republicans supported the Recovery Act. And by supported, I should clarify, they voted against the Recovery Act. And now all of a sudden yes. they're like, yes, the COVID relief package was great for you. And the child tax cut was great for you. It's No, you voted against that. It makes me so irate. But how did Biden do in the first 100 days? What do you think about the first 100 days within the Biden administration and how he did? I think he did an A plus. I would be remiss without saying we have the first woman VP. It is about time. Yeah, that seems to get lost in this story quite a bit, doesn't it? Absolutely. And the first woman that African-American, Asian descent, I mean, this as a woman is monumentous. That's why it's hard for me as a woman saying, look at the ticket. It's Biden-Harris. How, as a woman, could you vote against another woman. And so it's mind boggling to me. And we look at his administration and his administration reflects our country. People that first generation immigrants, African-American, women, diverse based on gender preferences. President Harris made history today as the first female, black and South Asian to reach the second highest political office in the land. And the new administration is also ushering in the most diverse cabinet in US history. President Biden will have the most women in a cabinet with 46% and the most racially diverse cabinet as well. Half from traditionally underrepresented groups. A big difference compared to the Trump administration, which was 83% white. And that's really important because the different perspectives gives us different ideas. And that's wonderful. So I think that he's definitely done an A-plus job. Absolutely. And it's important for people to take the politics away and look up how he's affected the American people, whether it's getting people to vaccination and getting that implemented as well. But the next big hurdle, I believe, is for the People Act, because we cannot let them suppress people's votes. And it is upsetting. And my hats go off to the representatives in Texas that got on a plane and said, we're going to D.C. and you can't do this to people. And they'll say on the right, oh, this is voter integrity. It's about voter ID. And we're making sure it's secure. That's not the case. The limiting people's access to polls, taking away people's voting on Sunday, limiting places where they can vote and not letting people get in mail-in ballots is hindering what our founding fathers thought for our country. It's a fundamental right to vote and everyone should have access to the polls. God, it's so fucking upsetting. Desperate times call for desperate measures. It's unbelievable that in order to not have quorum, that the state Democrats had to fly to D.C. to say, please, we're begging you. You have to pass federal law to help us. You're going to really miss out on protecting the democracy if we don't pass something federally to protect people's votes. What I would say is to your listeners, the call of action 
And I would ask to please reach out to your representatives, your constituent, and they represent you to let them know, let your voice be heard, that there needs to be some change in For the People Act need to pass, besides other things. But if we can't vote, then we're not going to be in a democracy anymore. Kelly, in your view, what were the two or three most important accomplishments of the early Biden-Harris administration? There was a lot, but the first one that comes to mind is the COVID relief package. We have to remember during that time, people were struggling personally, professionally, financially. They've lost loved ones. My thoughts and prayers go out to anyone that's lost a loved one due to COVID-19. And people were trying to put food on their table. People were working remotely if possible. If they had a job, taking care of their kids, schooling their kids, doing everything. And he got that passed. And we have to remember without not one Republican supporting that legislation. And I think that was key to help the American people. And the second thing is about the vaccinations. Now, there was nothing in place. And so Biden wanted to move, got federal funding in place where people could get access to get vaccinated because that's key to get vaccinated and have the herd immunity and do that. And our lives is slowly getting back to normal. The White House is saying now that vaccinations are up more than 200 percent in states hit hardest by the Delta variant. So where do you think those vaccination rates need to be before we start seeing cases start to fall again? Diane, you're trying to get me to do a high school calculus right now, early in the morning. But basically, you know, yes, there is a silver lining to seeing the numbers going up. It's tragic that we're having to see them going up because people are seeing their friends and their neighbors in some of these states, especially Louisiana, getting hospitalized. Over last weekend, we sat outside and heard live music. And the person performing was like, it's so nice to see people and smiling faces and to have that normalcy back. But there's so much more that he's going to accomplish. And I truly believe that, hopefully, with the infrastructure and building back better to really help our roads. I travel between Florida and Colorado because I have a standard poodle and we drive on the roads and some of those roads are just horrific. And so we need to really invest in our roads and in our future as well. I know we were talking about childcare, and that's important for us to invest because those are our future generations. If we don't invest in our future, our children, our environment, our roads, there's going to be nothing there for them. And it's going to help all of us compete with these other nations that people say, oh, we have to make sure that our country is first, but we need to invest in ourselves, invest in our children, invest in our roads, invest in the people and allow them access to the polls. It's important for us to do that. I would just like if we could focus on clean water. That's half the battle. Unfortunately, in this country, and not a lot of people know this, but we have pipes that are over 100 years old. I don't even know how to talk about that. Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles, we had a lead in our water fountain issue 
because pipes were over 100 years old. You know, we saw what happened in Flint, Michigan. Clean water is a basic human right. As a UNICEF ambassador, it's something that I fight for in developing nations. The fact that we have not taken care of our water system is amazing. It needs to happen and it needs to happen now because there's no recovery from lead poisoning. Children, their education, their ability to learn, everything depends on clean water. And that is also infrastructure. So we have to get serious about this. And you're right about the roads and the tunnels and the bridges. It's a disaster waiting to happen. Like the building collapse in Florida was because of negligence, because of basic infrastructure of that building. They knew that there was a problem and it just went ignored. And look at what happened. That could happen all over this country. It's terrifying. On the flip side, what do you think they missed? Like what's been the biggest failure? I don't like to look at it as failure because I think that they did a really good job. A lot of people say, oh, the Democrats have majority in both houses and what's going on. But they have to remember in the Senate that they need 60 votes. Even though there is a majority, they can't get stuff passed. If that was the case, then for the people would pass. George Floyd would pass. And so I wouldn't say it's the administration itself. It's we need to do something about Congress itself in order to change the filibuster. I strongly believe we need to do that, or otherwise it's going to be very difficult for the Biden-Harris administration to get something passed. I don't think it's anything on their fault to do that. For the people should have passed. You should allow people access to the polls. It shouldn't be something that should be an issue. But because there's not enough votes, and even though people say, oh, Democrats have a majority, we still need 60 votes. And so I think that's important. Now, there's always workarounds. Do I believe that we should make a voting a federal holiday? Absolutely. Let people go to the polls. It's crazy we haven't done that yet. I think we should. (laughs) Start a petition, Alyssa. (laughs) So having said all of that, do you think presidents deserve the credit or blame they get for what happens early in their terms? I'm thinking about what you said. In particular, obviously, Mitch McConnell and Joe Manchin and others, people from both sides, and the amount of obstruction they've enabled. What are your thoughts on that? I think absolutely. I think that as Democrats, they definitely work with people across the aisle. But sometimes if we have to get stuff through, sometimes we're just not able to do that. I'm not going to ask you again. You said that you oppose scrapping the filibuster. The question I have is whether or not, and you say you hope that that'll bring the parties together. The question I have is whether or not you're doing it exactly the wrong way. And and, and hear me out on this. If you were to keep the idea that maybe you would vote to kill the filibuster, wouldn't that give Republicans an incentive to actually negotiate because old Joe Manchin's out there and who knows what he's going to do by taking it off the table? Haven't you empowered Republicans to be obstructionists? So I don't see it as a failure of the administration. I think that we as American people need to say, okay, I need to get out and vote in 2022 so that make sure the Biden and Harris administration have enough representatives there so we can get stuff done to help the American people. This is a call to action in 2022 and say, listen, something has to be done. The Democrats need 60 percent majority in the Senate 
so we can get stuff passed for the People Act, George Floyd, stuff that should not be an issue for the American people to help them. One of the things I really hate about American politics is that we're only six months into the presidency and already we're talking about the midterm elections and they are starting to take prominence. Do you think that we need to shorten election seasons to let some actual governing happen? No, I think that we need to make it easier for people to vote. I believe in the state of Colorado, they mail people their votes to give people access. And there's places where you can drop off your mail. They can track it. There's procedures in place because people say, oh, there's going to be fraud. It's worked in the state for many years and that people should get mailed their ballots, not have to ask for it. I remember protecting the voting in Florida and a woman came in to vote and they said, I'm sorry, ma'am, you haven't voted in a certain amount of time. You can't vote. And they just took her off the register. She's like, I know, but I didn't do anything. They're like, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do. And so I think we need to make sure that we give people access to the polls and enable them to do that. And people work. I mean, the fact that someone's waiting in line, hours in line, and someone in some states can't give them a bottle of water or give them a slice of pizza because they've worked all day. They maybe have two or three jobs, ran over there and stood in line. And the lines at some places are horrific. I've seen it. And they're waiting there and they're hungry. And then people have a choice. I'm going to go eat or am I going to vote? They shouldn't do that to people. And so they shouldn't start making it a crime if you give someone a slice of pizza. It's so upsetting. And listen, as an activist, I have been waiting for the right issue to get arrested for. And I really feel like going to Georgia and handing out water and pizza might just be it because it is so absurd and you make a great point. And to my listeners, please check your voter registration. Make sure that your registration was not purged off the rolls. Make sure that you are still registered. Sadly, it's something that we all need to do before elections. We can't do it at the last minute. Also remind your friends to look at their registration, make sure they're still registered. It is vital. Your book focuses on the Build Back Better agenda of the Biden presidency, which I think is really exciting. What do you think is the most important thing the president can do right now to make sure his agenda doesn't disappear into the next campaign? That's a really good point. I think it's important for him to really talk to the American people. Studies have shown if a majority of American people support it, then it's hard for people to vote against something. And so it's smart how he talks to the American people about stuff, for example, the voting rights and and showing how people support it. And it shouldn't be whether you're a Republican or Democrat, but then reaching out to your representative and saying, hey, you're in my district. I'm supporting this. And if they don't do it, to get out there and vote and do what he can as the president, whether it's issue executive orders, doing whatever he can, making voting a federal holiday, whatever he can do to enable to make sure that his agenda is passed and do that. Now, some stuff can pass in the Senate, reconciliation stuff, where you don't need the 60% majority as well and try and go that way as well to do that. I think it's important to work between the aisles, Republican and Democrat. But if he can't get his agenda done, By doing that, then it's important for him to proceed and do that. I think that's important. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And finally, what gives you hope, Kelly? It gives me hope that 
as I said before, the story about the gentleman who's a hardcore Republican who served our country, who's a strong advocate for a Second Amendment, and I'm talking about something, and he says to me, yeah, I listened to everything you said and, and agree with you, that we can come together and focus on just the people itself and do what happens. I think the COVID relief package that a majority of Americans supported is great to show, hey, whether you're Republican, Democrat, or independent, you supported this, that there are issues. I read a study once where they said 80% of us can agree on most issues, 10% on the right and 10% on the left. But if we look at it that way and say, let's find common ground, let's focus on something and not make this a political issue, but a people issue. We are United States of America. So we should be for all United States of America. And Alyssa, if you do go to Georgia, I do have some attorney friends out there. Okay, good. And I will gladly <laughs> connect you to me to make sure. <laughs> Sounds if you good. Do decide, I appreciate decide to go that. To Atlanta, because one of my friends actually did give out pizza in the last election and was there and, and getting donations from us and giving out water in Atlanta. And now she won't be able to, to do that. As my listeners know, I've gotten into a lot of good trouble in the state of Georgia. Kelly Hyman, you give me hope. So thank you so much for all you do and for being a part of the podcast. Thanks, Alyssa. For millions of families, help is on the way right now thanks to the American Rescue Plan. On Friday, about 40 million families will receive their second monthly payment as part of our tax cut for families with children. 300 and uh, $300 for each child under the age of six, and $250 for every child six through the age of 17. That's money for diapers, food, rent, school supplies, fees and equipment for the child to join sports teams and dance classes. Most of all, as my dad used to say, it just gives a parent a little bit of breathing room. Okay, so 100 days is not a lot of time. And it's clearly an arbitrary number to figure out how successful a president will be. No president has ever achieved all of their goals in that time frame. But President Biden came really close. Think of the things that are different from the last guy leaving office. We have a diverse cabinet. We're seeing the restoration of the federal judiciary as Biden nominees are confirmed. Nearly 70% of America is vaccinated against COVID despite the constant chorus of lies and disinformation from the right. The economy is roaring back from the failures of the Trump regime. People are back to work and America is opening back up. But that doesn't mean there's not work to do. Joe Biden is a good man with the most progressive agenda of any president in my lifetime, maybe even ever. We need to help him achieve his goals, to push back against the forces of obstruction, both within and outside the Democratic Party. We need to look at the first 100 days as a springboard instead of a finish line. Building back better is going to take more than 100 days. But I'm so glad to see how much is already done. And I'm honored to work with you all to achieve the rest. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our associate producer is Ben Jackson. Editing and engineering by Natasha Jacobs and music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and 
Milo Bugliari. That's my boy. Please subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and spread the word. 